0: You are listening to audio from Ebenezer Baptist Church on the corner of Ebenezer Baptist and Pleasant Green Road. If you would like to learn more about our church, please go to ebcconnect.org. Now, here's our pastor with this week's sermon. Some of you know what's back in Fellowship Hall because we're going to celebrate a meal right after the service. Well, actually, after the business meeting, after the service. So um, I want to encourage you to come back there. Um, there'll be plenty of food, there's always plenty of food, and it seems as though even if even if we say uh, there may not be enough, that God seems to multiply it, and we all walk away pretty stuffed and happy. And so I would encourage you that even if you didn't prepare for it, please come back and eat with us and fellowship with us. Um, another part of today, later on, and so this is where it gets a little tricky, is we will eat back there, we'll get stuffed, we will leave here. And some about two hours later, we're going to come back and we're going to decorate the sanctuary and the foyer and around the church for Christmas. Now, the way that works is you go home, you take a really short nap, change clothes, and come back. And we have ladders that are rated high enough for anybody in the room. Now, I thought that would be I thought, I thought they'd get a little bit more stuff. Um, I don't know if you've checked ratings on ladders. I started doing that. I didn't have, used to have to do that. Um, I've, got, I've got three ladders in my garage. Um, there are two fiberglass ladders that I'm sure can hold my weight. But there is one ladder that I think I inherited from my dad. It's a wooden ladder. And um, yesterday I was out messing with some Christmas lights and stuff and I started pulling out ladders. And, you know, you don't want to move a ladder every time, so you just kind of set up ladders next to each other. And so that's what I did. And it was probably a really smart thing to check the ratings on the ladders because I was good. Fiberglass, fiberglass, wood, no. Because that's not rated for me. And we'll just leave it at that. Uh, But God can take care of us. He takes care of all the things that could possibly happen in our lives. And although we may check to see if something is rated for us, we've to understand that God's big enough to take care of us even when we aren't so swift about understanding that. In fact, we tend to we can box God into something a lot smaller than who he is. And in so doing, we shortcut the ability of God to help us to lead or to live in victory. And so this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to get into a, um, it's for some, it will be uncomfortable, but we're going to get into some conversation about giving because in giving, we recognize that, that God is still in charge. And we've got to understand that. And so we're going to look at Malachi chapter three this morning. Uh, we're going to go all the way through the passage and we're going to move fairly quick. Now, I I don't know about you. When I was in school, there were times that 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 you just kind of look forward to. Like, I look forward in some classes to having a substitute teacher. Have you ever been in one of those classes where you're like, man, I'm glad there's a sub today? And and you would you kind of get in that mode. I, when I was in Florida this week, as I went down to see my brother, um, he's progressing along and that's a, that's a good thing. And there's lots of details in that. But while I was there, we were in the bank together and I started talking with Crystal. Um, she was one of the, the account reps and we were talking and I said, you know, I haven't been here in 40 years. And I said, things have changed. And she said, well, I moved down here and I, I got to do my last two years of high school in this area. And I said, well, what high school did you go to? And it happened that we went to the same high school. Now there was there's a lot of years in between her graduation date and my graduation date, but we went to the same high school. And so I started throwing out some names. I said, "No, Mr. Middlebrook." And she goes, "Sounds familiar." And I said, "What about Miss Bell?" And she's, "Oh, Miss Bell, you had Miss Bell." And so we had the same teacher, 17 years removed. From my graduation to her graduation, we had the same teacher. And I think it was history. All I know is she was a teacher that, that I had right after lunch. That's all I remember. Now You know how it is after lunch. You know, you kind of maybe snooze a little bit. But Miss Bell was still there. And, and I remember being in school, and, and whether it was a substitute or a regular teacher, if they stepped out of the room, there were certain things that happened they would step out and those that were kind of the class leaders or or the 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 ones in the yearbook that you would say these are the the class clown or the 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 rebel kind of people they would just kind of take over the classroom and then somebody who was a little bit more of a rule follower would kind of watch and, and kind of peek around the corner and say teacher's coming and everybody would scurry back to their seats. Everybody think pick up and, and look like you were doing what you were supposed to be doing while, while that teacher stepped out. And when, when we get in that, we have to understand that our relationship with God ought to have priority all the time. And yet sometimes we're in the mode where we look as if God is this teacher down the hall doing something else, and we need to peek around to see if he's coming. Therefore, we kind of do our own thing. Israel was like that. Israel was a nation that that seemed to, after God would provide for them and take care of them, that in their minds it was like He stepped out of the room, and so they would start to drift away from their relationship to God, and God would call them back, and and. He would bring them back to a place where they were doing what they were supposed to do. And we're going to read a little bit of that as we go through this. And so you're going to see where God would desire for them to return to Him and continue to hold on to Him and value the relationship between a holy God and a people that were chosen by Him. And so Malachi 3 is where we're going to start this morning. Um, Just as a review, we realize that Malachi is a messenger of God. That's what it says in verse 1 of chapter 1. And our, our setting, our stage for Malachi's prophecy is in Nehemiah 10 through 13. You remember in chapter 10, they make promises. Then they drift away as Nehemiah leaves. Nehemiah comes back, finds them all over the place and desires to draw them back and goes to some pretty great lengths to remind them of who God is. And then last week, we talked about this. We said, the grace of God brings healing to the unfaithful. See, there there is a, a tendency for us when we are unfaithful to walk away from God and hide from God. That was true for Adam and Eve as they tried to hide from God in the garden. Remember that? You can't hide from God. That's the first thing we have to understand. But it's our tendency to say, I think I can avoid God if I am unfaithful. And what the Word of God says is that by His grace and His mercy, we can come back to Him and He accepts us as a child of His. He doesn't kick us out of the home. So God, even when we are unfaithful, can bring healing to us. So Malachi 3 is where we're going to start. And just with that background, we will get into this. So let's pray, and then we'll head right into chapter 3. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the the prophecy of Malachi and his boldness in sharing as a messenger, a burdened messenger to the nation. And so, Father, as we read these things, Father, we can understand the historical setting of it. But Father, we also realize that your word is there to help correct us, to check us, to grow us, to stretch us, to mature us in Christ. Because you want exactly what is best for us. And so Father, teach us this morning as we look at your word from the book of Malachi. God, help us to be obedient In all that you ask us to do, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Malachi chapter 3, starting at verse 1, says, Behold, I'm going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So let's just stop right there because there seem to be some really strange things in this first verse of chapter three. When you look at it, say, I'm going to send my messenger and he will clear the way before me. So that's that's one messenger. Then it says, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Are there... One or two messengers in this passage. There's two. The first one is that gospel preparer. He's, the, he's that one that is coming in front of Jesus. He is John the Baptist. We we read in Isaiah forty. Chapter 40, verse 3 A voice is calling, Clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness, make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. It is John the Baptist who comes to prepare the way for Jesus. And then the second messenger in here is the gospel presenter, and that's Jesus. He's God. He's the one we read about in John chapter one, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He is the one that says in John 14, six, I am the way, the truth and the life and no man comes to the father except through me. And so the the two messengers in verse one are John the Baptist and Jesus. And if we look at that, we understand that that is is the, the setting for Malachi saying, hey, look forward. Understand that God has a plan for you as a people chosen by Him. And He desires you to completely surrender your life to Him. That's where it starts. And so we get into verse 2. And first thing we've got to understand or know is to know the teacher's heart. If we talk about passing a midterm exam, it is always good to know the teacher's heart. Why is it good to know the teacher's heart? She may not understand what he's going to ask or she's going to ask. My daughter, well, my daughter and my son, Stephen and Becca, both went to Liberty at the same time for a very short time. Stephen is not the, uh, he's very smart, but he's not a classroom kind of guy. And so he did not thrive at Liberty. He, He, in fact, he didn't really thrive in any college. And he may still work on his degree. He may finish about the time he's 45 or something. Who knows? I'm not even worried about that at this point. Becca, on the other hand, was one of those students that seemed to have a way of getting to know the teacher. And so she would. And she had a philosophy. If I know the teacher, if I ever need something, then I can go to that teacher and he'll give me what I need. And so she felt very comfortable. Well, they were standing outside the classroom Time was coming up. The teacher comes walking down the hallway and he says, we're about ready to start. Well, Stephen's immediate thing is it's time to cut off the conversation and get in the classroom because he's going to start. Becca, she turned to the teacher and says, I'll be there in a minute. And Stephen's like, what's that? She says, oh yeah, I know him. She had already developed a relationship with him. And she knew exactly what was going to happen when she got in that class. And it, it helped her because she knew the teacher's heart on the front end. This is what it says in Malachi 3.2. It says, but who can endure the day of his coming? So we get back to the second messenger. Who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? It says, what is your relationship with God? And then he goes on to describe this messenger, for he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap, a laundryman's soap. He will sit as a smelter and purifier of silver and he will purify the sons of Levi and, and refine them like gold and silver so that they may present to the Lord offerings in righteousness. So when we read this, we understand that, that God, that God, God is sending his messenger, and there's some things that we know. The first thing is there is certainty about his arrival. For the people of Israel, they need to understand that Jesus was coming, the Messiah was coming, and there was certainty in that. Malachi was sure. And you have to understand that when Malachi writes this, and and right after this whole era of Ezra, Nehemiah, Malachi, all that, that it seems as though God goes silent for a period of time. It's that what we we consider intertestamental period where where Catholics have this apocrypha that seems to fit in between that. We don't have that in our canon and in in what we consider scripture, but it's that period of hundreds of years where it seems as though God had come, went off the scene. And, And what Malachi is saying, you have to understand that God's arrival is sure. That the Messiah is coming. There's certainty about his arrival, but there's also certainty about his ambition. He is not coming to sit and watch you do what you do. When Jesus comes back, he's not so much interested in just sitting back in a, as an observer. When I go to a hockey game, I sit behind the glass because I'm not on the ice. I sit as an observer and I can make all kinds of judgments about it, but I can't change a thing. We were talking about football earlier. I can put on all the garb, uh, all the Steeler garb for the one o'clock game this afternoon, which I will be back eating, by the way, back there. So I can put all that on, but me putting that shirt on makes absolutely no difference to that team. You can put on whatever you want. You can put on Duke, UNC, Liberty, state, app state, we can go, go through the list. It doesn't really matter. Being ready for Jesus's arrival and understand that God has a plan when he gets there to do certain things makes a difference. And so we understand that Jesus has an ambition. And in this passage, it is an ambition to come back and take the people of God and get them in the right place where their offering is accepted by God. Verse 5 says, then I will draw near to you for judgment and I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers and against the adulterers and against those who swear falsely and against those who oppress the wage earner in his wages, the widow and the orphan and those who turn aside the alien who do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. What does it mean for God to draw near? If you've ever been, if you're a parent or ever been a parent or especially those of you that are grandparents, when a child or a grandchild just comes up to you and snuggles in, isn't that a good feeling? I mean, if it's not your child or not your grandchild, there are smells that go along with kids that may not be all that pleasant. But when it's your own, snuggle on in. It's okay. I'll even take some spit from ones that are related to me. But not from a stranger, I'm good. In fact, we will probably have to make a decision fairly soon since flu season has started to start doing fist bumps and elbow bumps and all that kind of stuff and, and avoid the holy kiss. All right, some of you are going, I don't remember doing that. It's, it's not in here either, so, so, so don't worry about it. But God drawing near, near. why does God draw near? God draws near and it says he draws near to make judgment. He gets close enough to us to understand exactly what's going on in our life. He gets close enough to us to say, and, he, and we have to understand that God is closer than we think. He knows our hearts. He knows everything about us. But we're reminded by Malachi that God is coming close enough to see. And when we think he's down the hallway out of sight, he is the teacher that is on sight, in the middle of our situation and understands us much better than we do. So he draws near to you for judgment, to make a determination. And the idea is that he's drawing near because he wants to present you holy and complete. And so that's the whole idea of this testing that takes place, this purifying by fire and by soap, is that we would be a holy nation, a holy people. And when we make an offering to Him, it is acceptable because our heart is right. Verse 6, it says, For I the Lord do not change, therefore, O sons of Jacob are not consumed. So what prevents prevents Israel from being consumed? If they've strayed away from God and their offering is not acceptable to God, why doesn't God just wipe them out? In, In other words, God, where is your justice? And we've talked about this in looking at Malachi already. And we can look around us and we could say that on several different fronts. God, where is your justice? If you've ever watched 48 Hours or or one of those shows, you go, okay, God, where are you there? Because that seems to be pretty unfair. Where is your justice? Where is your justice? And so in this case, Israel strays away from God. God, why don't you bring judgment on them and just consume them? Because the truth is that God is big enough to do that. We look at God as a friend because of our relationship with him, but the, the truth, the bigger truth of that is God is not just friend, but he is holy, almighty, pure God, and has the ability to wipe us out at any moment if he wanted to. So what prevents God from wiping out Israel here? Because it seems that that God is working off of a covenant. But but before that, it's, it's God's character. God's character prevents him from wiping out Israel. They are his people. In fact, there are times when God is reminded, and it's not that God has to be reminded, so don't hear that weird, but... But God is reminded, hey, God, if you wipe out this group of people, what will the nations around us think? God's character prevents them from being consumed in God's covenant. God's covenant for us is that he would present us complete and that what they offer to God would be pleasing. Keeping God's commands is an indicator of heart health. Now hear that again. Keeping God's commands is an indicator of heart health. Deuteronomy 5.29 says, Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and keep my commandments always and that it may be well with them and with their sons forever. So God's desire is that we would keep his commandments. He said, well, wait a minute, that's Deuteronomy. That's Old Testament. I don't have to do that. All right, so listen to this. 1 John 5, 3 says, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. So it doesn't seem like we're off the hook at all. God desires us to keep His commands. God's desi- desire is for us to keep the fellowship with Him fresh. The second thing in our outline this morning is to keep your eyes on the right thing keep your eyes on the right thing we just go to verse let's go to verse seven then we'll go to verse eight from the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes have not kept them Return to me i will return to you says the lord of hosts but you say how shall we return in verse eight will a man rob god yet you are robbing me but you say how have we robbed you then the answer in tithes and offerings so how can you rob god is God, is God even robbable? And I'm not sure that's a word, but, but can you do that? Now let's consider who we're talking about here when we talk about God, who's in charge, who is above all and owns it all. How can you rob God? How can you be in that place where you are stealing something from God? And, and stealing is, a, is one of those topics that we always talk about during this time of year. It will be on the news every day between now and and Black Friday and Saturday and all throughout the Christmas season about all these scams, right? And so you'll have scams like, um, and I, I wrote down some because they were like the top scams that, that are out at this point. A shipping notification, you may have gotten that in your email where you get a, hey, we have a package for you. If you'll click on this, we'll tell you where it's at. Don't fall for it. Um, a mobile app that that uses NFC technology to skim credit card info from your phone. And it's just a, a way for them to You open an app and it steals other information. Text message saying, if you want to cancel this subscription by text, click here. Um, a charity scam, We may be wanting to give to a worthy cause due to desperate circumstances, or gift card scams. And I didn't even know this one existed, where somebody will take a gift card get the information, put it back on the shelf, wait for somebody to activate it and they get notified when it's activated and then they go and spend the money real quick off that card and you're left with nothing. I didn't know any of that. I didn't know some of these existed. The text one I've gotten and the notification for shipping. I know when something's something's coming to my house and when something's not. But we try and avoid the scams, don't we? And so the question is, as scammers try to to gain by profiting from you or me, can there be scammers in church? We avoid scammers in, in life and in shopping and stuff like that. But what are scammers in church? What does that look like? There's a statement, and well, we'll talk about another statement in a minute. First thing is that cheaters hurt the teacher and others. I want to get into a little bit of this, how can we rob God? And in verse 9, it says, You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Verse 10, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, so that there may be food in my house, and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. In verse 11, then I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of the ground, nor will your vine in the field cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts. All the nations will call you blessed for you shall be a delight, a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. So if we look at that and we start talking about how can we rob God? And God gets very very plain. You've robbed me in tithes and offerings. When we look at that, what does tithe mean? Well, it's up on the screen. It literally means the entire 10%. So what, so what does that mean? And, and in this passage, we have to understand what the tithe was used for. The tithe was used to support the Levites who were in charge of the temple and to provide food and, and a way of living for them as well as the offering for just the, the nation and the care of the nation. And so the tithe was a, a, a big deal, but it wasn't that God needed something. So we, we've read that passage that God owns cattle on a thousand hills. I, I think about it, anytime I'm going through someplace where there's hills, and I see cows on the side. I go, God owns those. Now, I don't know about the flatland cows, but the hill cows, God owns those. I'm thinking if God owns all of that, why does he need this? Can he not provide? And I'll tell you that he can. But this whole idea of giving is a reflection of the heart. It's not so much that God needs the money as God needs the heart. And the heart is what God actually checks. Our stewardship of money exposes our heart health. And so if we, looked at, if we looked at the checkbooks, how would that reflect on your heart? You see, I think God understands that generally, and this is not everybody in this room, but, but we get to check ourselves because God understands that we are basically a selfish people. We can be that way. We can say, this is what I want. And and we make purchases like that. And I'm gonna give you an example, and and Deb, don't get mad at me. Um, I'm just checking. Last night we were we were home. It's raining. We didn't we really just didn't want to go anywhere, we didn't want to do anything. we were, we we had that Saturday afternoon, we're watching football, it's rainy, cold outside, lazy feeling. Okay? And I'm not asking you how many of you are in that spot. Okay, so you don't have to feel guilty about this. We were like, okay, what do we do? Let's order pizza. And so we had conversation about diet in the morning and we had pizza last night. Yeah. It was perfect. It was, a, it was a balancing thing, you know? You know, a, ba- a balanced meal is, is you eat a whole bunch here and a whole bunch here and it all balances out. So, so, so we did that and it was because we were relatively selfish at that point we could have probably found something or ate healthier or done something different but we said now we're just going to be selfish tonight we'll just go ahead and get pizza we're we're prone to that and i'm not telling you that if you order pizza that you're off the wall um un, you're off the wall selfish i'm just telling you that we we tend to seek after our own comfort so I want, this morning, I want to give you a report on some of our finances at church before we get into budget discussion, just as a check. And I will let you decide what you see in this. And, um, and I, I just want to tell you that there are parts of this that I'm very comfortable with. There are parts of it that make me squirm. Okay, so just understand that if you're squirming, it's okay? If I'm squirming, it's okay. We get to go, we get to be in this spot where God takes us and refines us and is purifying us and, and molding us and maturing us. And that's part of it is allowing God to do what God does. And so I wanna throw some things up on the screen that will kind of help us. If you'll, we'll put up the, the next one, Vaughn. Okay, so as of the end of October, this is, this is the number of tithes and offerings that have come into the church. $491,742. It was given by an approximate number of people or households. It's a little hard to figure there without getting into specifics, but 145 giving units, okay? So that's what that breaks down to. And if you were to divide it all out, it comes, I think it's somewhere around um, $3,300 per giving unit is what that represents. So we go, go to the next slide. This is, this is the average gift by age. I know that's gonna be really hard to see. Well, not too bad. It's, it's a little harder back that, that way because it's a little smaller. But, but if you notice, this is the average gift by age. And so the gifts up by age of those 40 to 59 are the larger gifts. And, they, and as you would expect for that age group that is in the prime of their careers, in earning potential, that's what that middle line, the 40 to 59, 40, 59 range represents. But then if you look at the 25 to 39, it's considerably lower, um, 80, and a, 80 and above, those that are 80 and above are actually giving more per gift than the 25 to 39s. And then there's that group where we don't have your age. There on the far right, and um, if your age is not in realm or your birthday's not in realm, would you please put it there? Because technically it considers you as 99 years old, and we're going to celebrate your 100th birthday as soon as we figure it out. So that's gifts by age. The next one is gifts by amount, total giving by age. And you see a little bit of similar things, giving total giving by age, that, that 40 to 59. But if you look the 25 to 39 is not doing so well in the, in the comparison. And, and when you start to analyze that and look at it, you have to ask a question. Why does one group give more or seem to give more consistently than another group? And it could be because we're not really prone to teach tithing or teach giving in church as much as we are other things. And so those that have been around church for a long time had that as a background in their discipleship, but those that have not been part of a church for very long may not have that understanding and may not know and may not care what we do with the finances. You just know that the lights are on and the air conditioning is on or the heat, whatever whatever's appropriate. And so, I know that that when you look at things like this, you can play games with numbers. And so these graphs are not perfect graphs. And there's a lot in there. And we're not going to get into specifics. I I knew of a guy who had everybody raise their hand who tithed in church. And I am not going to ask that question. But I want to show you something because as we... We struggle a little bit with our finances here at church, and our giving is not where it needs to be. We're not giving 100% of budget at this point. At the end of October, we're two months before the end of the year, and we are still a good ways away from the 100% mark of just what the end of October should be. So it's a significant difference between those two. But I want to show you something because it's the comparison point that I've got just just in general, thinking about giving. Let's go ahead and put up the next one. Okay, the average household income for the 27278 zip code is $88,576. Now, I read that. It was online. It's a, some kind of census demographic. It's probably a couple years old but it did put it in a comparison place with zip codes that were adjacent to 27278. And all the ones adjacent to 27278 were actually higher than this. I did not go into research how close these things were or or what the differences were. I just took this as raw data. And then if you were to take that and just took away a 20% tax bracket. Now I know some of you will go, you're supposed to tithe on your gross. Okay, that being said, that's fine. But we look at this and we say, okay, 20% tax bracket and 7.65% of that income goes to Social Security and Medicare. You would end up with about $64,000 as an income. Make sense so far? I know this is weird for a Sunday morning, but there's a point to this. Let me show you what happens if we tithe on $64,000 a year. That would be the income for the church based on the same giving units. Now, go ahead and put the next, next one up. This, was, this is the income if we continue at current giving rates. Do you see a disconnect? Now, I'm not saying that everybody in here makes $89,000. Every household is that. I'm not saying that. Because I know that's not true. I'm also pretty sure that there are... Those that make over $90,000 as a household income. I think both are represented in here. That's why we're talking averages. But if we were to take one step in obedience regarding the tithe and giving, would our giving be better than $590,000 by the end of the year? I think it would. And all of us can be in that check. Am I giving what God asked me to give? One of the questions that, that gets asked, and, and I've seen it online and, and I've heard it asked before, is why do people come to church and think it's free? Or, or consider, hey, why, do, why does grace seem to overrun what God's command says? So we have a responsibility in this. I know you may not like this, and it may make make you uncomfortable to sit here talking about finances in the middle of church. But I want you to understand that what we can do as a church body, when we are obedient to God, and, and I understand that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. I get that part. But God wants our obedience. And as we are obedient, God can bless that and multiply that so that we can do ministry to a greater extent than we can right now. Let me give you some for instances. If we were to have the really big vision, if we start looking at vision for our community, it means expanding Master's Garden's influence. It means hosting community events that expose people to the gospel. Like going to the community things on Friday night down in Hillsboro. I realize that it may be very cheap, but it still takes people and resources to do that. Because if you're going to hand out anything, it costs money. And you want it to be right. Growing in our next gen area. Getting onto campuses in the area like Durham Tech, you understand Durham Tech is the least reached college in the state of North Carolina. Least reached with the gospel. But you can't go on to Durham Tech and expect that it's just gonna be free because it's just nice like that. It's gonna cost money to affect students at Durham Tech because if you know anything about student ministry or college ministry, food draws people you offer free pizza or free hot dogs, you offer free chicken and waffles, whatever it happens to be, it will draw people and you get to have a conversation. But rarely will you be able to have a conversation. Hey, let me give you this free flyer. Woo! I don't get, a, I don't get excited about free flyers at the state convention. I, and I'm, in, I'm already there. We need to get more involved in community events, like the parade. by the way, that is next weekend, and where's Michael and Amber. There's Michael. Um, you still need help? All right, so we have a parade that we're going to be in next, not all the but there's a parade. we're doing a float, and we're going to promote um, the Christmas music by the kids and the adults. We're going to invite people to be part of this, but there is still a need to get that work done so that we can present the very best thing that we can present to invite the community. And it happens next Sunday afternoon. So things like the parade, things like Hillsboro Youth Athletic Association and being a coach or just bringing water to the team and sponsoring those is part of it. Praying for areas in our ministry field, like just going out with with some kind of flyer that says, we prayed for you and putting it on a doorknob and inviting folks to be part of here and then updating our facility. You've walked around. This building's 20 years old and it's well cared for. But if we don't update things as we go, we're gonna get to the point where we're gonna need to update it and we will not be ready to. And so we have to prepare for that. And so we have to have money put away to be able to do that. And certainly God is able to provide. But let me ask you this question. It's going to be offensive. I'll just tell you up front because if you're not giving, this is going to rub you the wrong way. Is it God's plan that we would have a body of believers that regularly attend and are committed here but not have the resources that come from that same group of members that are regularly blessed by our worship, small groups, and missions. We have a responsibility as a church body to support the budget that we vote for. Matthew chapter 6 verse 19 is pretty clear. It says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Matthew 6.24 says that you can't serve two masters. 1 Timothy 6.10 says, Beware because uh, beware of the love of money. Bottom line is you can't scam God on the condition of your heart. Make it scan others, but you can't scan, scam God. I think many of us are in a, in a spot if we're not doing what we're supposed to do, we think God's going to grade on a curve. Deb was in a class with a guy from my home church and He had gone to college, came back home, worked a little bit, went back to college with a renewed effort on his part to do what he needed to do to pass. And so Bobby, who was in my wedding, was the guy who got 100 on everything and messed up everybody else in the class who was hoping on a curve. God doesn't grade on a curve. We can't have a consumer mentality within the walls of the church. We must be a people that give generously. And I want us to be really careful because when it talks about the blessing of God and God pouring out his blessing, it's not a road down a prosperity gospel kind of thing. That's not what we're talking about here. Although you may could read it into this. We're talking about heart condition. And so you may wanna look at some remedies for that and you say, I'd like to give, but I can't. I'm strapped financially. I have debt up above my eyeballs and and I'm just struggling to breathe. And I wanna tell you there are helps out there for that to, to help you budget and to get on track with that where you can start to give in obedience to God even if it's a little at a time and grow into it. The Every Dollar app. Is one of them. There's an app on your phone. You can track all your finances, Financial Peace University, mentoring by somebody. You can even go to DaveRamsey.com and you go, I don't like Dave Ramsey. I don't like him either. I mean, I guess I like him as a person, but he says stuff that I wish he wouldn't say. My kids hate him. And at the same time, love him because it's kept them out of trouble. So go to DaveRamsey.com, that'd be another place. And, and see, it all comes down to knowing the heart of the teacher and looking at the things in God's Word rightly and then looking at our own lives and seeing how do they measure up. And so lastly, it's the only way that we can build a legacy worth repeating. That's the last point, build a legacy worth repeating. Verse 16, then those who fear the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord gave attention and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who esteem his name. They will be mine, says the Lord of hosts. On that day I prepare my own possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. So you will again distinguish between the righteous and the wicked, between ones who serves God and ones who do not serve God. I want to show you something. I, I, uh, the t-shirt's here, but that's not what I want you to see. There's something under here that, um, that I've kept and, and, I've, and I really didn't know why I kept it. Let me put it up here so you can see it better. All right, so, yeah, no, don't. No, I didn't even go there. (laughs) Did you say ooh? (laughs) What? It is a big picture, almost life-size. Yeah, y'all glance. Um, The Cody that came and spoke not too long ago here, um, he made this. He asked me for my yearbook picture. And so he made one of himself and he made one of, of mine and he put them up and he did a message on it. And, and um, it was interesting because when he put it up there, he, he made the students guess who it was. And so they guessed Cody. Of course, Cody was only 10 years out of high school or 15 years out of high school. It was pretty easy. But they looked at this and said, well, We have no clue. Now, my daughter's in the room, she had no clue. But that's, that's my yearbook picture. And, you know, things change. Like, that shirt fit around that. But if I were to have pulled a shirt from that time in my life, it would not have fit over that picture. The, things have changed. And see, there is a, there's a, a vast difference between a yearbook picture and a transcript. You understand that. I've got the yearbook downstairs and I started to bring it up here, but I read through some of the comments in my yearbook and decided that you didn't need to see that. (laughs) There's a difference between yearbook and transcript. Yearbook, you get kind of those things of what everybody else thinks about you. Love you. We'll be friends forever. You'll never talk to them again. You know, there's always, you have that possibility. Now, I'm not saying that you guys may talk to your, your friends 50 years from now, and so hang on to friendship. It's kind of good, okay? It's, it's just me, all right? It's, it's me. So, but yearbook is different. Transcript is something different as well. Yearbook is what everybody else sees. Transcript is what you carry with you. I don't look like that anymore. But the transcript is a reflection of what I did academically in that school. And so you can fool those around you by a yearbook mentality of church. But the transcript reality is what's known by God. And so we can put on a face that says, I'm doing what God's asked me to do and yet be far from God's heart. And God desires our heart. Matthew twenty-five thirty-one through 34 is a list, and, and I'm just going to read verse 34. It says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are, you who are blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Ephesians 1.14 says we've been redeemed as God's possession. 1 Peter 2.9 says that we are a chosen people. And see, in all of this, when we start talking about what it means to please God and what it means to have a heart after God, God fashions the dividing line. He's the one that puts the line in the sand. He's the one that gets to make the judgment, to draw near and make judgment about how our refining is going how our maturing is taking place. And so I want to ask you to do two things as we talk about taking action. The first one is very simple. Remain open to God's refining process. When we shut down God, we miss out on what God has for us. The second thing is take one step toward obedient giving. Some of you may not give anything. And really what anybody gives is really between you and God. I understand that part of the equation. But I want to tell you that if you're not, and you say, well, tithe is Old Testament. Grace is an extension of that. It ought to be beyond that. And so if we just talk tithe, if you're not tithing you say, I've never done that and I don't know if I can. Understand God is promising to take care of you. The other part is you don't necessarily have to do it all in one chunk. You go, wait a minute. I want to ask you to do something, is to take one step in giving more than you do now. It's going to be a step of faith. And whether whether if, if you say, I don't know that I can, start at 2%. Start at 4%. If if you say, I'm giving at 10% now, go to 12. What is it going to hurt to stretch your faith and allow God to take care of you in this life? Because this life is temporary. And as an added benefit, we get the opportunity to reach a community with the gospel that without the gospel and without a relationship with Christ, we're going to spend eternity in hell. So we can step, take one step of obedience, one step closer to what God asks us to do. If nothing else, take a step. And so as we wrap up, I'm going to ask the same question that we've been asking. What's the condition of your heart? I get to wrestle with it. You get to wrestle with it. What's the condition of your heart? I figure there there may be four things possible this morning. The first one is there may be the need for a complete overhaul. The heart is smothered in sin, and there's no relationship with God. And you need to go to a mechanic that can fix that. God is that mechanic. And so I wanna encourage you to, to consider giving your life to Christ, surrendering to him all that you are and allow him to restore your life and to rebuild your life as you surrender. Second thing is that your life appears damaged. It's in need of repairing. The burden that you have when you walked in this morning is way bigger than what you can handle. And there are people in this room that are exactly in that place And the only one that is big enough to handle any of that is God. Only through Jesus and God's grace can you handle what life throws at you. And so the altar will be open for those that have this this damage happening in their life and they just need to come and spend some time with God. And we'll have others that can be here if you need to talk to somebody. So you may appear damaged this morning. The third third group of folks are the ones that need exercising. I don't want to talk about exercising before we go eat. And so this is going to be kind of one of those, you need to think about exercising in terms of faith. Is that you need to take one more step in your faith walk with Christ. And so maybe you need to Take that one act and it may be a commitment to go from 5% to 7% or 10% to 12% or you need to do something else that God's calling you to do. Go talk to a neighbor or whatever it is. What is one act of faith that you can take? One step of faith that you can take this morning. Then the last thing is connecting to others. Is to be connected with others what would it take if god's maybe maybe you're in a spot where your heart is good and you're in a good place but you need to connect with others and settle on a place to serve from i want to encourage some of our folks that have been attending for a while to join and become members here of this family and let's serve together in the big vision that god's given us let's pray and I'm going to ask you to be obedient to God as we move forward as a church family. And then after our time of invitation, um, we'll, get, we'll call into a, a special called business meeting related to our budget. And as quick as that's over, we'll move back to food. All right, let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace. God, I thank you for your patience toward us. God, your, your word reminds us that return is possible and that you call us to obedience because you love us. And so, Father, during this time of invitation, this time of commitment, Father, whether it's that complete overhaul we need or uh, that adjustment, if we have something that's weighing on us or we, just, or we need to join this, this church body in fellowship, And serve from this place. Father I pray that you will lead us. And you will lead us to be obedient to you. And that it brings you glory. God we love you and we thank you. For all that you do for us. And we pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio from Ebenezer Baptist Church. We welcome you to join us next Sunday at 1030 a.m. For our weekly worship service.